What's up, Spellslingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And I'm Corey Janabagian. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer up. Hey guys, we're back with another episode of Untap, Upkeep, Drink, and today we're talking about basic deck archetypes in Magic the Gathering. So, the idea is that there's a lot of new players that are listening that we've realized after a few episodes here, and we kind of want to break down what it is that people talk about when they talk about control or aggro or whatever, because we've mentioned it several times already. Yeah, when you're more ingrained, you say all sorts of weird words and nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. So Yeah, we were literally just having a conversation upstairs where somebody was playing a game and they were talking about all these weird things going on. It's just like, is this what it's like to be someone outside of magic when somebody's talking about like, oh, I've got my Azuri, you know, renegade leader. I've got such and such. And just like, what? You're saying words that are technically English, I think. Yeah. (laughs) I was actually talking to Terrence about this the other day. I was like, untap is just, it's a made up word. Like it doesn't exist outside (laughs) of magic. I was like, why was this even a thing? (laughs) But yeah, there's just a lot of weird jargon. As always, before we get into the episode, we got a, got a couple beers here. So, once again, I brought some beers from Oregon. Uh, I went on a trip many months ago, probably at this point, uh, and I've been holding on to these. It's been a, a trial for me, just because a lot of them just look really, really good. Some of them I've had, and know are really good. Um, so, the first one we got is Deschutes from Deschutes. Deschutes is one of my favorite breweries, Corey, I, you can attest to that. They're just a classic good brewery. Yeah, so I think a lot of people have heard of Deschutes, the brewery, but this beer is literally called Deschutes. Yeah, it's D-A and then Schutz with a Z. Yeah. And it doesn't look like a Deschutes beer because they usually have their big logo on it because this can is just super flowery. There's a little bear creeping out. It's a really cool can. And then I've actually had this beer before as well. And so this is an American Pilsner, 25 IBUs. And then we got the Utah. No, wait, this is you got you got this, this is in Oregon. Oregon, yeah. It's, so it's only four percent. I'm used to those it's Utah an, yeah, beers. It's an easy drinker from Oregon. You'll see that kind of all of the beers we have today are just nice easy drinkers. So, like Drew was saying, Deschutes is one of our favorite breweries. It's just up and bend, a good little spot. We like a lot of their beers. How's that hit your tongue? It's way better than Utah version. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a very all very the flavor is back. <laughs> Yeah, so I grabbed this one because Corey's a big fan of Pilsners. Generally speaking, try and get him when I, when I can. Uh, Gary, you've not tried this one. I've not. So I had this one on tap, and it was just <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah, I like a lot of the the lighter side of beers, like Pilsners and Lagers and Hefeweizens. And this one, is oh, just, yeah. it's just right there. Clean, no hops at all. No, it's just big easy fan of that. Drinking. It's got super a, crisp. Yeah, crisp. It's got like a, a light sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. It's really enjoyable. Um, the next beer we have is the Kowanda Pre Prohibition Cream Ale from a mouth. Pelican, Pelican Brewing. Yep, it's five point four percent alcohol by volume, twenty five IBU. So it's uh, also pretty, yeah, pretty easy down. He's drinking. And so the reason why I grabbed this one was because Gary's not really into the, the hoppy side of things. And not the guy all. that I was visiting, or one of the guys I was visiting over in Oregon, this was his go-to beer. And he hates IPAs and all that other stuff. And so living on the Oregon coast is kind of like rough for him. <laughs> there's not really that many beers that he can enjoy. You're like, if you enjoy this, I trust you. Yeah. you and know. so when he told me that, you know, we literally just got a six-pack of it immediately. And that was what we were drinking for the rest of the trip that I had. That was our dinner beer. It was just a nice, perfectly fine cream ale. It's not overly obtusive in any way 
No, there's almost no hop character, even though it is slightly bitter. It's not that piney bitter. Yeah, and, and the malts are, are very, very nice in it. Yeah. The cream, I mean, I kind of just go in from the Deschutes. It's more of a texture thing than a flavor, yep, obviously. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. I haven't had this one before, but... That one's really good. Nice. Yeah. And they've got their, their nice little story on here. Kawanda Cream Ale celebrates Cape Kawanda, the starting point of the stunning Three Capes scenic route and the birthplace of Pelican Brewing Company. Inspired by one of America's traditional 19th century beer styles, Kawanda has a golden color, floral aroma, refreshing body, and a clean, snappy finish, to which I agree. Whether enjoyed with your toes in the sand at our oceanfront brew pub or in your own backyard, Kawanda Cream Ale is proof that light-colored beer can be both refreshing and inspiring. I want to go to an oceanfront brew know, that's pub. The only <laughs> They're a little bit away from it. I went into the, the brewery, and of the, I think, eight beers that I tried, maybe it was 12, uh, more than half of them were IPAs or derivatives. And goddamn, when they talk about hop-focused beers or hop-central beers, or whatever oh, yeah. the, the term is, they kicked me in the teeth so hard. Yeah. I was so burnt out. My taste buds were fried that's by straight the Straight from the source, hipster central. Yeah, it was. I mean, the beers were fine. They weren't bad, but this one, I think, is honestly Pelican's best beer. Yeah, it's I've delicious. A, I've had a couple other Pelican beers, and they've been they've been okay. But this one, yeah, this all of their good. beers are fine. Like totally, you know. And if you like hops, you know, probably better than that. But this one is just a good, solid go-to beer. If you're not, you know, into hops, or you just want to try a new brewery, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, for sure. The last one I got is the Ninkasi Ninkasi Brewing Company. Vanilla Otis Oatmeal Stout. Praise the goddess. So this one I was super pumped for. Uh, they're out of Eugene, so I didn't actually get to visit the brewery itself. But I was super excited to just see this beer because the label looks fantastic. I love oatmeal stouts. I love stouts in general, as you guys know. And so this was just one that I was keen to dive into. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's like dark chocolate and carne into this beer right now. I'm that ready. vanilla note is just... I think the vanilla note hits you both immediately and as like the aftertaste, which is it's beautiful. It's on both ends. Yeah, it's it's lovely. There's no vanilla on the nose. So it's a 7% by volume and IBU's 50 and you can definitely tell. Yeah, it's very bitter. Obviously, like we've said with stouts, I mean, compared it's, to what not, we had. Yeah, it's not the piney bitter. It's that nice coffee bitter. I didn't get as much vanilla as I thought, but it was good. Oh, I got it coming in going and the aftertaste right now is just lingering on coffee. What'd you say the ABV ABV was? Seven percent. Okay, I was gonna it's say not as it doesn't. Big as some of the other stats. It doesn't had. feel as thick as some. Some. Yeah, it's definitely do. a little lighter than some of the other stats we've had. But I agree, it's vanilla, and then it just sort of goes into sort of chocolatey, and then vanilla again, and then it just fades out into coffee. Yeah, this is it's super good. <laughs> this is a fucking good beer. So Corey, you're familiar with Nincasi more than I am. Yeah, I've had a lot of their beers way back in the day when I was first getting into beers. And didn't know what I was doing, just trying everything. So I actually haven't had an Nkasi beer in probably like four years or something. But I think I might need to jump back in because that one is delicious. All right, guys, now that we've all got our beer in hand, we're talking about archetypes. And I'll admit, a lot of my play style, especially when I was younger, was very linear. Just whatever cards we had, we didn't really know play style other than probably one that we'll talk about as tribal you know what i mean you just find your favorite type of creature all right i'm playing zombies let's jam as many zombies <laughs> as we have in the box we're going for it um but there's a lot of different ways that you can get these decks to interact um and so we want to shed some light on 
all, all the different things you can do. All right. So first and foremost, we have to talk about what are archetypes, right? We're using this word over and over again, and we should just define it. So archetypes are basically a group of strategies that you just move into more general categories and, and ideas. And so like Garen's saying, tribal would be a subcategory in one of these archetypes, such as aggro, control, mid-range, there's tempo, there's combo, there's a, a bunch of different ones. And then there's also sub-themes for each of those as well. Right. So these are like the the bigger, more... Uh I don't want to say easy groupings, but sort of the the main groupings of yeah, the these are like the overarching yeah. and idealistic examples of the strategy. It's like the the most general that we can really make them without just saying you're playing magic. Yeah, it's just like, what are you playing? I'm playing aggro. Yeah, boom! Somebody immediately knows what you're talking about. Yeah. So let's talk about the extremes. For for I think a lot of deck builders, they kind of understand that there are the two polar opposites. Right. right? You've got aggro and you've got control. So for aggro. We'll say this time and time again, it's kind of the most basic of basics in MTG, right? It's what you should start new players on just because it's it's simple to understand and it's so linear in what it wants to do, right? You want to play creatures to attack your opponents. You want to play spells to pump them or force through damage, giving them invasion, things like that. Um, And for burn and just mono red decks specifically, uh, you play burn spells to remove opponent's creatures or to hit your opponent's life total directly. Unsurprisingly, aggro stands for aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just going straight to the face as yeah. often as possible. In aggro, you're counting to 20. Yep. Like that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, you just go, go, go all the time. You don't care. Okay. So a couple of the deck ideas for aggro include, like Drew was saying, burn decks, where you just you play fast, low CMC, hasty guys, and just get in for damage. Yeah, you got RDW with that. Red deck wins. Yeah. And then there's also... Sort of the other side, which is mono green, stompy, which is you ramp a bunch, and then you just play giant dudes and trample through. The biggest shit you can get. Yeah. It's kind of a slower part of it, but it still follows the same category of just trying to count to 20, try and get in, swing yeah. with your creatures. You're worried less about what your opponent is doing and just trying to get damage in. Yeah. yeah. And then another big one is just token strategies. Just go wide, just go hard. Yeah, you'll rarely see that tokens are in like any control style category. I mean, they... Often will probably be in mid-range as well, but I think that a lot of token strategies care more about just getting your tokens up, pumping them, and swinging. Yeah. Uh, so I'd definitely classify most token strategies in the aggro category. Now, on the opposite end of aggro, we've got control, which is basically idealistically opposite. Instead of worrying about your board state and how do I get in as much damage as possible, you're very carefully watching what your opponent is doing and trying to counter and reciprocate moves to control what they do. That's why we call it control. You're genuinely trying to control the board and the board state. So you allow what happens in the game. That's basically the the overarching theme of your strategy. Yeah, any good control player understands that there's one important thing to know about control and playing magic. And that is, there's only one life point from your life total that matters, and that's the last one. Yep. But with that, you know, you need to be able to protect your life total until you can establish a threat or a specific win con, right? And you do that through counter spells, removal spells, defensive creatures, um, and then you have to be able to get a way to win. Yeah, and I think just like this whole strategy is the opposite of aggro. I think new players should never play control. Yeah. Because it's just, you have to know so much about the game and when to do stuff what threats to remove, what threats to allow. Control is awesome because 
there are an infinite number of decisions that you can yeah. make, but making the correct one is so very difficult that you can just fuck up once and <laughs> you lose it. three turns later because yeah. of that yeah. one move. And in aggro, know, but it's just yeah. I mean, in aggro, your decisions are how can I get as much damage to my opponent as possible as quickly as possible. Whereas in control, you're trying to figure out which one is the one that's going to put you over the edge uh, before you can establish your board. Yeah, so some of the common decks for control are just mono blue counter spells. You just, if your opponent can't play any spells, then eventually <laughs> you'll, yeah, hope you'll get you, there. Yeah, you can yeah basically, you're trying to just hold up mana, stop their threat, stop their everything. Yeah. And then. You land, like, I think the old uh, ones, just like Leviathans and things like that, the mono blue giant creatures, boys. Frost Titan, uh, things like that, where you're just going to win eventually because they can't do anything. And you get to eight mana, and you cast one of those, and you can still hold up mana for a counterspell in case they have removal. And, I mean, you win. <laughs> like, yeah. It just takes yeah. a long time, but it's control to the core. Yeah, another one that was really prevalent back in the day was blue-white approach. And so this uses the card approach of the second sun, which basically means if you cast it twice... You win the game automatically. You don't have to do anything else. You just cast it twice. Yeah, and so with Approach of the Second Sun, it was nice because it had life gain attached to it. Yeah. And the the deck was using a lot of, you know, counter spells and removal in white uh, to just get to the get to this spell. And then it would gain life off of it, so it kind of give it, gives it a buffer before it can do it again. And it would put the spell seventh from the top. Yeah. Uh, but if you're running four of these, you know, you're more likely to hit it a second time. Or if you're just drawing a bunch of spells, which is what the deck wanted to do, then it's easy to get to it a second time. It's just a matter of controlling the board until that happens. Yeah, I played against this deck archetype a lot, and it's, like Drew was saying, it's just you remove everything that your opponent has, and then you play draw spells to get approached another time. You don't care how much life you lose or how much you're attacked because you just gain it back and then just cast it again and boom, you're done. Last life point, only one that matters. Exactly. So another one that was really common was Teferi Nexus. Yeah, so this one was really popular on Arena for a time period. It was basically just like the premier deck because if you can get to Nexus, you just chain off. And so you're trying to get, again, counter spells and removal until you can get to ultimate Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, which... Basically, uh, his ultimate reads that whenever you draw a card, you exile a permanent your opponent controls. And so you use Nexus of Fate, which is an extra turn spell that gets shuffled back into your library. And you chain these over and over again until you mill your opponents out, essentially. Because you're going to start exiling everything they control, including their lands, so they can't do anything. And most people, after Teferi ults and they see the Nexus for the first time, realize what's going to happen. They just concede. Yeah. But getting to that point is so frustrating. It takes a long time. Yeah, so one thing you might notice from these past three decks is that they're either mono blue or blue white. Yep. And so those are sort of the control colors. If anybody says Azorius or just Demir playing control, well. yeah. Those are the, a lot of yeah. So black blue, black white, Esper, those three colors. Yeah. Go. And I don't play blue as much as I should. And every time I sit down with an Azorius player, I'm just son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm gonna play nothing today. Yeah. And then there's this kind of last category of control that I don't think a lot of people think of as control just because it seems to operate in a different realm entirely. And it looks different. Yeah. It feels different. Yeah, it's not That's, like a straight up deck archetype. It's just something that most control decks just do. So we got resource denial, right? Yeah. That counts as land destructions, right? Uh, your opponents can't win if they don't have mana to play spells. If they don't have lands, they can't play the game. Uh, we've got hand attack, right? Uh, your opponent can't win if they never have spells in their hand to cast. Yeah, and so a lot of the the Demir and Esper um, 
control yeah, got, uses good hand mono attack, black yeah. hand attack mm-hmm. something like that yeah and then you've got stacks which is gross is <laughs> basically again you're trying to stop your opponents from being able to play the game yeah and then prison which you're trying to stop your opponents from being able to attack you and you put attacks on those attacks so that even if they are attacking you got one creature that's coming in and it's not going to threaten your life total until you can get to some sort of win con yeah and those last two strategies are basically just locking the game down and slowing it down until you can just get to your win con and they're not very fun to play against. They're very slow. All right, the next couple we're going to talk about here are the in-betweeners. We've got elements of both control and aggro inside of these. We've got mid-range and we've got tempo. So mid-range, it, you sort of play the control and aggro role depending on who you're matched up against. And the cards that you draw in your opening set. Yeah, and, and, and dictate that. Yeah, exactly, what you have first. But it's basically like being able to use the best of both, both elements in any given situation to give you the best advantage in your game. So you're using high power level cards for maximum impact every time you cast a spell. Yeah, we're talking about just the most efficient creatures, the best creatures that you can get. Planeswalkers. Planeswalkers. Yeah, Yeah, they're... I mean, they can control a board on their own, so put them in. (laughs) Yeah, you got a lot of really, really good, efficient removal, and obviously hand attack, which is sort of like removal, but just in a a different way. Yeah, mid-range doesn't always focus on just removal because there are some threats that you can't remove whether they're hexproof or whatever and so having hand yeah. attack as in your sideboard or just in your main deck to get rid of the threats that you can't answer is a really good way to, to go about that yeah, yeah mid range is it's a very very flexible sort of archetype you can mess around with because it, it, it can do a lot of different things yeah. most of the decks i think that people are familiar with are probably going to be in the mid-range category just because it, you're trying to just play the best that you can yeah best of everything but i think it's important is. to look at your mid-range deck as a mid-range deck instead of thinking of it as oh well it's a it's a deck it's not super fast and it's not really control thinking of it in that way knowing if i'm up against a fast deck the way that my deck is going to win is by slowing them down right versus going against a slower deck you know I don't want to go to long game with this guy. I need to get in there as fast as possible. Thinking of the the deck you're playing in those terms really helps the way that you play each matchup. Yeah, and so we've got some common deck ideas here. There's just decks that you see around. You've got The Rock, which is a black-green focused deck, uh, including cards like Tarmogoyf, Scavenging Ooze, Fatal Push, like just cards that we know are incredibly powerful. Yeah. Uh, accrue value over longer games like there's a lot of good elements to these cards and they have a good amount of flexibility for different situations yeah, yeah they can come down early and do work or you can play them late and also do some work yeah and then we've got the jund or obzon decks uh same idea as the rock basically but we're using red in jund or white in obzon uh for removal path to exile lightning bolt these really strong powerful low drop removal spells just to make sure that we can secure our victory yeah, I think a lot of what makes these types of the the more control elements really powerful is using, like you said, Path of Exile and things like that. They're one mana. So you're trading up with every single, or you're trying to trade up with every single threat. Someone spends five mana on a big fat creature, you only have to spend one to get rid of it. Yeah, and when you're playing against control, you know, them trying to answer your one mana removal yeah. spell with, you know, two, three, five mana counter spell, whatever it happens to be, is making them make decisions that are a lot more difficult because of yep. the the mana intensive spells that they're playing versus what you're using um being a mana intensive we got tron uh, <laughs> i really think that tron kind of falls into the mid-range strategy because it's not really an aggressive strategy you're using these pl- powerful planeswalkers usually ugin karn these colorless planeswalkers uh or i've seen 
recently we've got uh, like the mono black, quote unquote mono black, because it's mostly colorless, uh, Eldrazi decks. And those ones, yeah. again, you're trying to use these Tron lands, which are uh, from the Urza block, where if you have each of them, they tap for two, two, or three mana. And so you can just ramp out massive creatures and just these colorless threats that are difficult to answer. Yeah, there's a lot of different things you can do with that much mana, just going so fast, just getting all these crazy big things out. Yeah, turn three, six mana is a lot. Stupid. Yeah, to get Karn and Ugin turn three or turn four, like you start to lock your opponent out of the game with an eight mana Planeswalker very quickly, and it's difficult to answer. Um, one of my favorite archetypes, I uh, probably just my favorite archetype, Aristocrats, uh, is more in the mid-range category. You've got these really efficient creatures that have a lot of value tacked onto them, and you're just going to continually... Uh, get value off these creatures as the game goes on you're using really strong uh planeswalkers in there as well and you know has some of the best hand attack and removal in those colors the it uses it usually is in mardu yeah um, and so you've got red black and white you've got all of the removal all the removal <laughs> so you have your pick of the litter basically um we've got dredge um which just an archetype itself that is very very strong <laughs> um black green and recently there's been a little bit of a red splash into it which is kind of cool um, but again, talking about very good creatures, very good removal, and just the fact that you can recur your deck over and over again just gives it that resiliency that it needs. Yeah, you just keep getting value over and over, just putting things in your graveyard and putting, taking them back out, and then just that's probably the that most mechanic. quintessential word for mid range is value. value. Yeah. yeah, talking about value, We've got like some Christian <laughs> stuff yeah. in there, right? Uh, Birthing Pod is just a good mid range value deck. Generally, it's not what I would call a combo deck because it, it takes a long time to get there and it really does just want to accrue mass amounts of value over yeah. the game and then win after you know a few turns not rather than just like immediately yeah you're just building up and up and up with birthing pod then on the flip side of sort of these middle of the road archetypes we've got a tempo deck which in a lot of ways is very similar to a mid-range but it sort of functions opposite the way I kind of look at it is that mid-range in general wants to go longer unless they're up against some some type of deck that they know they can't hit the long game whereas tempo tends to in their games we have we have this phrase protect the president right you're trying to land a very efficient threat early and then use your control to keep him on board and keep your opponents away from it so that you can trying it's to keep it on steady damage yeah, yeah it okay. is consistent steady damage and that's really what it is right you want to land an early game threat and protect it through the use of counters and control elements, bounce spells, etc. Um, and by playing these cheap threats, it allows you to play more of them if you need to, while also holding up counter magic and protection spells. So realistically, you're just trying to chip away at your opponent's life total over many, many turns, uh, and you're trying to operate, for the most part, at instant speed for the rest of the game. Yeah, it's basically you're attacking, and then if they try and do something, then you respond to that and protect your dude, and then just keep doing that every turn, just getting that damage in no matter what. Yeah, and then also tacked onto that are often draw engines because you know you can only counter so many things so many times before yeah. you need to you know draw more cards. Yeah. Um, and those are incredibly powerful to make sure that you always have an answer, right? And so we look at decks, we're talking about Mono Blue Tempo. So Autumn Burchett won the Mythic Championship, I think it was the first Mythic Championship, uh, playing a Mono Blue Tempo deck against, I think it was Esper Control, and the way that they sequenced spells was incredibly important to win the match because you play a one mana basically unblockable merfolk 
And then using things like Curious Obsession to make sure that you're increasing the power level of the creature while also getting draws every single time it hits your opponent and then protecting it throughout. And uh, one of the cards that was really pivotal in the, the match was Dive Down, which gives your creature plus O plus three and uh, Hexproof, which the Hexproof them. is the important yep. part, right? Like you don't care about the toughness, but for one mana, making sure that you just bounce whatever removal spell that they just threw out. So we've got the mono blue tempo deck. We've got blink strategies, which is basically being able to bring out your threats that have some sort of ETB, um, some sort of value on their own, and then being able to recur that ETB by... Or just get rid of the threats that your opponents have. Yeah. Making them recast it is sometimes just as good as a counterspell. Yeah, especially when a lot of those blink cards are a lot more uh, cost-efficient mana-wise than the threats that they're deploying. Yeah. To spend, you know, one, two mana to bounce their thing is invaluable to the, you know, two or three damage that you need to get in. Yeah, yeah and that's just another idea that you're setting the tempo. Like, you're, they're using their turn and you're just basically putting them back a turn yeah. while yeah. you're still going. Absolutely. And the last one that I have on here is kind of like, I don't know if it's necessarily in the tempo just because you're not protecting a creature in the same way. Um, but that's the the boggles or bogles or however else you want to say it. Um Blay. But for those who play EDH, it's the Voltron strategy. You're shooting up one creature, making it big, and basically just punching in for damage as fast and as hard as possible, as often as you know realistically you can. And you're giving it protection via your enchantments rather than the spells that you're using. And I don't think the the Bogles decks usually use counterspells at all. I think it's just like... Yeah, uh, they kind of protect themselves. Yeah. Hexproof and Shroud. Hexproof. And indestructible. Usually not Shroud. Usually it's Hexproof and then the totem armor i think that's why voltron is a lot harder in edh from a, a tempo standpoint because instead of protecting it from one person you have to protect it from three people and it's much harder to sort of set this tempo and keep answers up yeah. on three people's turns as opposed to just one person's turn well and I, I know it's not exactly 120 damage but when you suit up a voltron creature and you basically announce to the table in edh that this guy's gonna smack people for commander damage you now turn the table to three to one and so you have to be able to do three players lethal damage yeah. instead of just the one um but it's literally like the exact opposite of token go wide you're yeah. going one creature and making him as large as possible as quickly as you can and then just doing everything you can to make sure that they survive to make yep. sure that damage goes through yeah all right, so those are like the, I would say the the primary four, the 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 Fab Four, and then we got the <laughs> the weird ones. <laughs> I was gonna say like the the redheaded stepchild, but I think those Ugh. are more loved <laughs> yeah, than, than what the the combo players are in a lot of communities. Yeah, I think on these last ones, you either love them and embrace it hundred percent, or you just absolutely hate it. <laughs> so this is kind of like we have to think outside the box. They're neither aggro nor controlled. They kind of do what they want, but also they can be inside the box and they can be aggro or control yeah they're kind of their own weird little thing like you can have strategies with combo or mill in other decks doing other things but they're also just their own thing on their own yeah so, the, so when we get into combo and yeah. this is something that i have to define over and over again to people is that when i'm talking about combo i'm talking that you need to assemble your pieces to win in one turn you need to knock your opponent out in one turn. Right. My so, threshold combo. Oh, yeah, a lot of people think about combo is like you have, you know. Like an infinite. Yeah, infinite something. loop or whatever. But to me, that is a combo, but that is not a combo deck. Your deck needs to be able to win in one turn. Um, and so you need to be able to protect or recur those combo pieces um, in formats where you're allowed to have more than one of cards. You know, it's a lot easier. Otherwise, you need yeah. tutors and things like that. And so decks, especially in things like Highlander, EDH, etc., 
uh, they use these tutor effects so that you have a higher likelihood of arranging your combo pieces. And then you also have like redundant pieces to make sure that even if they get destroyed, you can't yeah. you know, use them anymore, exiled, whatever, that you can still get your combo off. But then we have my favorite combo, which, as, as I'm sure I've said time and time again, is Storm. I love Storm. I think the Storm is my second favorite archetype. I think that it's just... It's a cool-ass mechanic, it's man. It's so cool. It's fun and as hell. The idea is that you just play lots of spells in one turn to generate a high enough storm count. Got this in quotes, storm count, because that's just what we call it because we don't really have a way to, to represent it in game sense. Um, yeah. And once you have your high enough storm count, which is the number of spells you've played, uh, you can kill your opponent with just one last spell, whether that be Grape Shot, Tendrils of Agony, Brain Freeze. Um, then there's other, you know, janky stuff. You've got Tinker, which is banned in a lot of formats or limited, I think, in uh, Legacy, which comes with things like Blightsteel Colossus or other just giant artifact Gross. creatures. Uh, One-shot robot, you know, probably yep. part of a combo in a lot of a lot of places. Uh, we've got Flash Hulk, which Garion has in one of his decks. Sick. So you're using Flash <laughs> and Protean Hulk, which allows you to tutor out a bunch of creatures. Yep. Uh, you have to have the right pieces, but once you get them, that's, you're ready to win. That is combo in a nutshell. Yep. Uh, we've got the lands. <laughs> Merit Lodge. Merit Lodge. Uh, using things like Primeval Titan or some other source to get Dark Depths and Thespian Stage out. So mm-hmm. that your Thespian Stage co- copies your Dark Depths, but it loses the Ice Counter, so it immediately becomes a 2020 Indestructible Trample that you're gonna kill your opponent with good fucking luck Uh, and then we have the kind of lesser category just because i don't think a lot of people think about it as combo and that's creature combo Uh, i think the most popular one that people know about is elf ball and i call this combo because of what it is trying to do it is trying to assemble a bunch of little elves generate a shitload of mana get crater hoof behemoth out and just kill someone in one turn one swipe one hit one kill yeah and so a lot of these uh just combo decks that we've talked about they're usually for modern or standard or the one-on-one formats. And like when you think of EDH combos, you got to think of a lot of different other strategies because playing a playing one 2020 indestructibles isn't going to kill anybody. Yeah. Or uh, it's going to do it slowly if it. Or does. yeah, or cheating out of blight steel. Like you got to sort of enlarge it a lot. Like by doing storm really works in EDH because you can just keep that storm count high, but you have to do sort of infinite combos in EDH just to accrue enough damage or mill or mana or, th- or whatever else or, or is things that, like right? that just like because you have so many opponents yeah, yeah so because instead of just doing 20 you have to do it to each yeah. and so you'll see in a lot of uh, edh strategies that are looking at combo is that there's either ways that just say you win the game or ways that you know like you can just basically do infinite each damage. opponent yeah yeah a lot of edh combos are just like i'm gonna do an arbitrary amount i'm gonna do, make ten thousand goblins yeah. with haste it's like okay so <laughs> got it <laughs> Well, that's where you see in EDH a lot of these cards that say target player being swapped for each opponent. Yeah. Because yeah. it's really easy to get a big storm count and say, okay, I deal 55 damage to target player, but you still have two opponents. You've wasted all your resources, and now you're ready to lose the game because yeah, you is, haven't dealt with everyone. Yeah, which is why, as Corey was saying, the arbitrarily high count yeah. for storm is such an important thing because counting to you know, 11 is generally what you need in a normal heads-up game of 20 life. Yeah. Uh, Looking at like Tentacles of Agony, 11 is usually what I need to get in order to have my Tentacles of Agony kill somebody. Yep. Uh, Brain Freeze, I probably need to count to, I think it's 20 to get all 60 of their cards. Grape Shot only deals one damage, so I need a high storm count for that. Usually it's like 18 if they have fetch lands out and I haven't touched them at all yet. Yeah. And so with, with these storm cards, the nice thing is that you can redistribute each copy of the spell that it has to each opponent, and that helps you a long ways in the storm. But when it comes to things like 
the creature combat decks elf ball you need to have a lot of creatures out in order to make that swing count yeah you essentially need to make your combo at least three times as big when doing these sort of just one time only combo decks and we've kind of touched on this a little bit and that is the mill strategies and that's kind of the other side of this combo and mill and edh is basically always going to be combo because it's so difficult to just yeah. mill people out when they have 100 cards and you have four you know, <laughs> players four players yeah, yeah it's, it's just difficult um it's often more associated with control strategies but not always just because you need to protect your pieces and mm-hmm. to mill somebody out is it, it's honestly just difficult in a 60 card game let alone a 100 card game it's uh, like a slow motion combo yeah because you have your pieces but they're not going to win in one turn they're going to win yeah over that long game yeah. so that's why, yeah. that's why i separate mill from yeah. combos because it doesn't usually win immediately in one yeah turn. i agree with that um and so basically what mill is is you want to get your opponent's library into their graveyard you know put the top two cards whatever it happens to be over and over again until you mill them out um, and the reason why it's called mill is because of the millstone which was i think just the first card that really mill creatures yeah i mean i'm, I'm they're probably weird cards but that's where people are like okay this, this is, a strategy. is a strategy this yeah. this is viable yeah. well especially when you had four of them back then. <laughs> four of those on the battlefield and so you like gary was saying is that you need these very specific cards to actually get it working at all like mill is honestly a very difficult archetype yeah. to to work with just because if you don't have all of your pieces assembled, kind of like what combo players need, it's just going to take forever, and they're probably just going to clock you because you're not playing a bunch of creatures that are going to help you. You're playing enchantments, artifacts, you know, these weird uh, uh, cards that aren't ever seen in any other deck because it, they don't really serve yeah. a purpose if you're not trying to, to mill somebody out. Or if you are playing creatures, there are some, but you're not using them in a traditional way. You're not swinging with them. You're tapping them for their effect of milling your opponents or... Yeah. Or just like stopping your life total from going to zero. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're just like blockers or incidental value. Yeah, you block and then you tap them to mill somebody. You know? yeah. It's like, I'll get you for five here, but you're hitting me for 20. Yeah, mill, it's a really hard strategy like Drew was saying because it's just, people don't like it first off <laughs> yeah when you put all so of them, it's weird that so people you, respond so much more favorably to like removal and board wipes than they do to mill yeah like if you actually get to cast your shit and someone counters it or kills it you go oh damn it you got me but if someone mills your favorite thing you're you son of I a never bitch had a chance <laughs> yeah. to see how it works yeah and so mill is often better in limited environments uh, yeah, because a lot they have smaller decks if you can I well, say less limited. ways to deal with that strategy yeah. Absolutely. And when I say limited environments, I really just mean draft because getting a limited sealed pool. You have to get the dream. dream I mean, we've heard that there's going to be some fairies in the upcoming uh, October set, right? Is that true? Yeah, that's what they said. I don't think it's going to be all fairies, but there's going to be support for Una. As as, as Coriel says... You're making me. <laughs> You're making. I'm excited. Ah, oh, dude, fucking fairies. Ah, oh, man. But as I said, this is often seen as a combo strategy, especially in EDH. I yeah. I have a mill deck. I will say this, and I hope that it'll soon be featured on the episode, so I can actually break down what the deck is and why I chose the decisions <laughs> that I chose to make it work. Um, but it had to be a mill deck because every single just iteration, reveal reveal your commander. Just at least tell no, people no, where no, we're no, going no, with no, this. No, they'll they'll get it when they get it. But Every single iteration of the deck, and I went through five or six iterations of the deck trying to make this mill strategy work, and it was never fast enough to matter. Every single iteration of the deck, I could maybe get one person to mill out, and that's only if I'm focusing solely on that opponent, and that's limited amount of creatures, maximum amount of mill, 
and yeah. there's there's three other you know three other players that I have to contend with, and if I can only deal with one, I'm pissing them straight the fuck off. Oh yeah, and Very everyone else like is either like, infect. yeah, it's like I don't care about the rest of you, and maybe you don't care about me, but you might incidentally have to swing at me for whatever reason, and my life total starts to tick down yeah. fast if I don't have ways to protect it. And the mill deck is all about just going hard into the mill. Yeah, it's kind of like burn strategies in EDH where you have to focus on one person straight from the get-go or just assemble your combo and get everybody right out the gate yeah so and there's there's a couple just sort of one-shot combos with mill but people see him coming from a ways away yeah and i i as far as like the mill goes like you can definitely see when i like start to assemble the pieces yeah but i've (laughs) discovered on accident when i was just going through hands on the deck that i have a turn two win con and that's definitely like if I ever get it off, it's the god it's hand. The god hand. <laughs> well, I want you play Storm frequently or yeah. to some effect. I, 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 I want to like know most. how advertised it seems like it wouldn't be advertised because you're not going to play the Storm card until your count's high, but you kind of have to start counting your spells. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you so, can't just, I mean, you have to count it on something on, on a dice or on something, and someone's going to ask you what the hell are you counting for. Do, do you feel like it's advertised the same oh, way that Mill is? 100% advertised. Like, the the thing that I always use is because I like to splash white for a card that allows me to stop any of my spells from being countered. It just stops Split your opponents second. from no. It stops your opponents from counting uh, from playing spells on your turn. Oh yeah, and yeah, so yeah. That's my bait card. If they have counter spells, they need to counter that right now, or I'm going to storm off. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's not it's not a bait card because it's just the first count of my storm count. Right. And a lot of it is just like uh, cracking. You know eggs or mana rocks or anything like that to just generate a bunch of mana uh you start to play rituals right if you're playing grixis and you start playing rituals people know exactly what's going on <laughs> why are right? you and just like why are you doing this right now because you don't play rituals in basically any other deck right and so i'm playing you know dark ritual seething song anything that i can to just get as much mana as possible yeah and then i start cantrip over and over again back into ritual more cantrips you know and then tendrils and i you know hit you yeah that's thing about tendrils as a win con is that it gains you life so even if you can't kill them just yet you didn't quite get there you're close and so you know a couple but that disparity becomes massive yeah yeah and like how drew saying at the very beginning where combo decks they got to kill that turn so as soon as you start someone off it's it doesn't matter if they know you're playing a storm deck yeah yeah my goal is to kill you now yeah i don't care if you know right and so like if i'm not playing against a blue deck i don't give a damn what you have i am going to combo off and i'm going to kill you you know, if I'm playing against a blue deck, I, <laughs> then I'll, I, I'll pay attention, but I'm still going to kill you. <laughs> then I'm throwing out a bait spell, right? right? And it's just like, okay, this is your one chance to stop this. Otherwise, well, I'm storming off. I was going to say, and like you said, when we were talking about control, when you have those decisions to make, if you have that counter spell and you see someone play that card, you have to know that I can't let that resolve <laughs> or I lose this game. You may not lose this turn. You may not lose next turn, but you will lose this yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, and like one of the, I think, probably my favorite deck that... I've kind of messed with in Canadian Highlander was the Storm deck, and it was just a degenerate. Which deck. Storm is it? The Doomsday? No, Storm. It was or? it was like traditional Storm. Actually, was it the Doomsday? No, it was traditional Storm. But like you have like Black Lotus or your Moxen or something like that. Right. And as soon as you crack Lotus, you know for triple black, it's just like, oh, <laughs> you're like, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna win. <laughs> yeah, like you do that, and like as soon as somebody sees that, they're like, I need to stop whatever's coming. <laughs> like, I don't care what it is, counterspell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got a, a pseudo Storm. Joyra, the way yeah, I like Captain Cheerio, yeah, it's, sort of it's as close EDH to deck storm as you can possibly get yeah, without I, saying the words. Yeah, so. I don't, I, I don't have any storm ca- cards in there, but you basically just chain as many thing. zero drops into Aetherflex Reservoir or Phyrexian Crawler, just 
pinging everybody for a bunch of damage. But as soon as Jorah hits the battlefield or one of those cards, everyone's like, oh, oh, he's, he's about to go off. Even though I'm nowhere near close to going off. Do you have walking ballista in that deck? Not yet. I should have never sold mine. <laughs> I know. Jorah's good where she is. Like, oh, yeah. yeah that's, I'm rather making a deck. one of the things that kind of is interesting about combo is that once you assemble the right pieces... It's so difficult, and I don't know how it is in EDH, because I'm kind of new to combo in EDH, is that I don't know how easy it is to change out pieces, because you work yeah. so hard to get these pieces, or somebody else has. Like, you could just net deck into into a deck, and it's about playing the pieces correctly that, that yeah. matters. So I don't know how, how easy it is to be like, oh, this could be a new card. Because for other decks, it's like, oh yeah, I can easily swap one-to-one. But yeah. with these combo with decks, it matters so much what's in your deck. So every single deck that I've made, as, at least in EDH, that I have, have Storm, and I've got two or three decks that I've got in the works and every single one of them has this specific category that i just call protect the storm yeah. because you absolutely need to and i know we're going on a massively long tangent about combo here and, and storm but it really kind of showcases the difficulty of assembling these pieces and people have this massive just hate boner for for, for storm for combo in general yeah. and to assemble them and make the right decision of when to go off is something that i think a lot of people undervalue they really kind of depreciate what it is to to play these decks to be able to go off correctly to make the right decisions at the right times there's a lot that goes into it whereas you know an aggro deck your decision is attack (laughs) yes yes i do attack uh burn spell Mm. creature or face 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 yeah sometimes 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 yeah i think every once in a while all of us have gotten a lot more comfortable with combos in the past probably year or so, because none of us used to ever play combos. We used to be yeah, I, basically pretty against played, it. Like Storm was like the, the closest thing, and that was only online. I never played it in the group yeah. because it, it seemed like an unfun thing to do against a, a, a group of three, right? Like, hey, I'm going to end the game on my own. You guys don't really get to contribute to it. Yeah, and I think just all of us building combos, we've added answers to more combos yeah. because of it. And just everyone responds. So if you can actually get your combo off, it's like, okay, sick. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's start another game. As a resident Golgari player, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that the people who play control blue and control blue and white are, in my opinion, the most skilled magic players which i think is why i <laughs> hang back from those strategies i really want to get into it because i feel like it'll make me a better magic player but it's just there's so many decisions you have to be able yeah, to make yeah. you have at to all know times. everything in your deck everything and i have to know everything yeah. in my deck uh, like you gotta know all the answers yeah. to go along with what gary and saying there as someone who's like delved into the control strategies and what it is to, to be those the best way to beat a control player is to be playing the decks that they are playing because you know the decision that they have to make and you know when to force a bad decision yeah and that's something that is so so like i say it like that as if it's easy right but that is such a massively difficult thing to do because you know theoretically there's an infinite number of cards that you could be potentially playing you know and i know that i say infinite and there's you know, eighteen thousand cards in Magic or whatever, and obviously there's not an infinite amount. But like, but the combos the, of those the decision <laughs> yeah. and the combination Combo. therein, like, it's so difficult to make sure that you're always making the correct decision. Yeah, but I don't think it's possible to always make the correct decision. Agreed. But yeah. before we continue on this discussion, we've got some beers here. Oh they, my gosh, I mean, we I've almost been, don't have any beers here because yeah, I'm been out. enjoying mine. I just <laughs> gave Corey, I think, the last of it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I think your beer is the best one here. <laughs> oh, I, I like. I don't agree. get me wrong. I loved the Kawanda when I was in. 
Oregon. It was you got it from the tap. Yeah, I mean, straight okay. From the teat. If you have it, have it from the tap. Obviously, I think every beer is going to be better if you have it straight from the teat, as Corey is saying here. It's the teat of the beer uh, mother. Same, I mean, the only one I haven't had from the, the tap is, is the one that I actually have, which I think is the best beer here. It would uh, probably be delicious out of the tap. Though. I mean, so the Dashutes was a fantastic beer. It was like a nice, slightly floral sweetness to it. Uh, the aroma is is terrific, and like a nice kind of hazy little pilsner. It's a little rough going from the Ninkasi stout to the Deschutes and back. Oh, I disagree. The well, yeah, but the, you're not the, going the fruity, that way. Fruity texture. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, I'm going, going back to the stout. That's that hard. to that. Yeah, it's just like oof. coming from the stout to the to the pilsner here. It's like a little fruity sweetness to it. More more fruity than floral, but that's that's a lovely beer. Honestly, like that is like perfectly drinking any time of the year. You can always have that. Yeah, I think this one's relatively new because I've never seen it before until a couple months ago. Oh, this is so they used to only make that and ship it around Oregon. Oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense because because when I when I got that one, they said. I asked him, I was like, okay, what is the Oregon staple? What is the thing that I can only get here? And they said, Dashutes. Yeah, that's really you, good. The like can beer. doesn't look like anything else. Like, it's really weird. <laughs> it's, it's a cool yeah. one. It's a collector's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's really good. And then I like it. Garen, you got the Kawanda? Yep, with a pre-prohibition cream ale. And I think if you're inexperienced with beer, you'd expect it to look a little different thinking cream. It's not really a flavor that's cream it's the texture of this beer like going from the dashutes to the prohibition cream ale it feels it feels thicker even yeah. though it's probably not really it's not even a hazy beer yeah and for as far as like cream ales go uh hopefully i'll have the drew's brews instagram post up uh we'll have a another cream ale that is for me it is like the pivotal cream ale in that it takes a cream soda and makes it like the adult or alcoholic or whatever kind of version you want. The beer version. Of it's not the soda. huckleberry cream. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> like it's it's a nice flavorful cream ale that takes the cream soda to the adult level. Yeah. And this is different from that. It has a, like the cream is more on the, the texture, as, yep. you, as you said at the beginning of the episode. And I mean, the flavor is just it's just nice. It's, like, it's more like a blonde ale. wheat and malt and less fruit and uh, floral like the Deschutes beer. And the all-star of these beers, I think we all kind of agree. I mean, I don't know if I'd say all-star, but it's definitely the best beer. I mean, all of these are really good, but I think this one is definitely the best. Out of yeah, these I mean, I think because it is, I mean, it is bitter, but it's also sweet because it's a stout. I think that really helps it to just push it over the edge in the tasty yeah, category. Yeah, and it's not like it's vanilla extract. I feel like right. they actually used vanilla bean because it just tastes stronger and more... Subtle, but yeah, not. It's, it's like super potent, but also subtle at the same time. Yeah, like it's, it's weird. just infused throughout the whole. Yeah, it, it, it's just well infused. Like, like I yeah. said, to me, it is the first thing I taste, and I was gonna say the last thing I taste, but the coffee on the aftertaste just like rides out yeah. for a long time. Which normally I don't really like the the bitterness and stuff that coffee kind of beers bring, but this is nice. I think the vanilla smooths it out. It's not as sharp. Yeah, and like there's vanilla plants all over the <laughs> label, like. They're not messing around when it comes to the vanilla. Yeah, it's like just it's, a well-balanced beer. The show. I like that. I mean, I will always take the dark beer over the light beer. That's just who I am. And so when I saw this one, I was like, I'm not going to not get this. Yeah, like, I, think I, I love I, everything that the shoots ever makes. <laughs> but when the oatmeal but, stout's better, yeah. you know it's good. Yeah, that's that actually is saying a lot. That's a test. Because shoots is a goddamn good beer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I had that one, just chilling at the brewery, I was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get some of this for Corey. Because I don't know if he's had this. And... I mean, yeah. Blackview Porter on tap is still going to be better, but that's just me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sean actually bought this months ago 
and he he'd never seen it. So he works at a grocery store, and so he knows everything that's ever there. And so the basically the first day this was there, he's like, "Oh, I've never seen this beer," and they grabbed it. And we had no idea it was the Shoots Brewing, even though it says Da Shoots. Da Shoots. Yeah. <laughs> right. We were just like, oh, it's a cool can. Yeah, it was, it was it. so funny being it at the brewery so good. because the way that the, the bartender, Sean, was there, uh, he was just hilarious in that you, every single time he's like, oh, man, have you tried the, the Da Shoots? I was just like, I'm here. I'm trying. And like, I've got Blackview Porter in my hand. It's like, <laughs> why are you saying Yeah, exactly. It's like, what are you talking about? And he like points and he got this chalkboard just above all of the taps and everything like that. And he's just like, no, no, no. Da shoots. I was like, shouldn't you just say da <laughs> Why are you pronouncing that? Right? <laughs> you work here. No, but saying what? what but like, <laughs> even when I read, it, I'm just like, yeah, it's da shoots from da shoots. Like, right. great. But they're like heavily <sighs> emphasis da shoots. Yeah. Like, All right. You know what? I will fuck with it. Like, I'll I'll work with this. Like, it's, it's, it. it's one. Tried it. So good. Well, what do you think, guys? I think that's probably a, a good rundown of the the most basic archetypes obviously like we were talking about with tribal and things like that you can yeah, get so into the minutiae of let's, the let's, let's subcategories let's dive into that just a little bit here right let's talk about EDH specifically there's always you know ways that we can talk about EDH and ways that we will you know but when it comes to EDH I think that most of the decks that we're looking at they're not really tempo right you've got the Voltron yeah. they're there sometimes yeah. uh, but I think most of it is just value and when it, we think of value mid-range you, yeah, you kind of have to because you're already at the very beginning of the game so outpaced in your resources that's three on one you know you don't always have to think of it that way but, but realistically, realistically it is i think about it as i get three there's three turns to my every one yeah right and if yeah. you think about it as a heads up <laughs> they just took two extra turns on you right yeah. and they're playing two other decks and, like, and that's huge yeah and that's why i think these these archetypes don't really work in EDH. There's like you have sort of general. I think that, control. Yeah, as, as we talk about like things, generalized things, I think that the the further away from the middle you go, the harder it is to play. Like yeah. aggressive decks. Yeah. I think that we can just categorize infect in there, right? Like infect is, is an aggro strategy. Absolutely. And you have to be. I mean, it could be a, theoretically like creature combo or something along those lines. Yeah. Because you could kill somebody in one turn and triumph for the hordes. You're trying to kill everyone in one turn. But I think that for the most part, Infect is going to be an aggro-style strategy, right? You're just going to continue to attack. You're trying to get your opponents to, you know, 10 Infect counters instead. And we've had our discussion on Infect. We all know how that works. I don't want to, you know, go into that too far. But I think that's probably the only viable aggro strategy. Because normal aggro strategies, you have to count to 120. Yeah, I think it's just you sort of have to be in the middle and on the ends at the same time. Because you want fast decks work if they get everybody at the same time, but you also want to build your deck so that it's good at the beginning and good at the end. Yeah, I think this is where, like, the limited uh, limited resources quadrant theory just becomes yeah. such a massive yeah. boon if you're using it in limited because all of a sudden you have this idea that every single card that you play has to be good at the beginning of the game, yeah. middle of the game, late game, and if your opponent's ahead of you or behind, whatever it happens to be, you need to have you need to have your resources be able to match the state of the board. Yeah, and so you sort of have to take a lot of these themes that we've talked about and just sort of inter just weave them mm-hmm. between like you can re like have aggro parts of your deck where you just swing out at people and get value, but then like you want late game stuff where you can lock people down or just have big threats and then you might have a combo in the deck which you can assemble over time Yeah, but it's, I, it's really hard to just do one of those yeah. things and that's why I really like to just lump most EDH decks into mid-range yeah. because what does mid-range have? efficient creatures the planeswalkers yeah, the best removal that you can have and your colors like hand attack you know probably not as much but like you have the best of the best yeah if you're and only allowed one copy you gotta make it good you gotta make it count exactly mm-hmm. and so I think that's why EDH I would generally just consider you know, in the mid-range category. Uh, but obviously, you can do a combo. You can yeah, do, you can do you know, whatever you want. But I think that's 
the reason why we're all so just afflicted with the EDHism. It's just <laughs> yeah. like we can do whatever we want and we can make it work because you know it's i have blue i could i could put in expropriate in this deck Uh, fuck it let's do it let's go mono blue (laughs) aggro fuck it let's go flying man it's a cool deck uh, the new sphinx that just got printed is flying is blue aggro true attempts yeah you just want lots of cards in hand and And you you have to that's true it's true it's almost weird (laughs) we gotta try it (laughs) mono blue aggro slash combo yeah yeah that's cool i think michael's gonna build a deck on that and hopefully we get him on the episode here sooner rather than later i've already got the beers sorted for him so (laughs) he better get here uh but that's gonna wrap it up for us here today as always don't drink and drive be safe yeah if you're underage you know don't fuck with the stuff like yeah as much as we enjoy you know drinking and playing magic uh there's a reason why there's an age limit on it you know like i didn't even drink till i was 25 and i'm totally fine worked out thank you guys for tuning in uh we're gonna be hitting you up with another drew's brews every single week as we release these episodes drew tends to drink off the show just about as much as he drinks on the show so we've got <laughs> i drink literally once a week guys okay it's I just drink... 20 beers <laughs> at <Yes>. a time <laughs> friday night <laughs> no it's i think it's actually wednesday night usually wasted wednesday either way no, we've got a lot of beers that we don't get on the show so we we want to at least like let you know what honestly it was like. you guys are lucky that these beers have lasted as long as they have <laughs> all right so consider that yeah i literally had to stash the others in a different place so that i didn't drink them <laughs> so you'd forget there's just too many good beers so and we want to hear about them to right? three if you, guys, if you guys have cool beers cool you know, honestly they don't have to be beers like we enjoy you our liquor drinks, yeah. our, our beer if yeah, it's flavorful like, if we can make a mixed drink out of it control but oh yeah like there's so much good stuff out there that honestly we're just ignorant of because we haven't been exposed to it so please let us know what you're drinking uh we're on twitter we're on instagram Yep. We're also on, obviously, YouTube. Hopefully, you guys are watching most of these episodes on YouTube, at least at some point, because we talk about a lot of cards. We want so, you to be able to see them all. We're either at UUD Podcast or at Untap Upkeep Drink. And we've noticed that there's a lot of you guys in the UK and New Zealand. Like, we want to know all those otherworldly beers. We want to know all the good shit. So yeah, just all the, hit us up anytime. All the crazy imports. Ooh, yeah. Like, if there's something that you know that we can get. If there's or, one thing we have to drink, hit us up. Yeah, let us know. Give we'll, us we'll your try and get it on. country of origin staples. So hopefully you guys are having good games and getting some real great magic in. As always, have fun. But not too much.